Welcome to Mint, the podcast exploring the Web3 creator economy. I'm your host, Adam Levy, and every Tuesday and Thursday, I'll be showing you what's happening at the corner where crypto meets creators by interviewing Web3's top creative entrepreneurs, collectors, and founders. This episode is brought to you by the composable and decentralized social graph Lens Protocol, who's ready for you to build on so that you can focus on creating a great experience, not scaling your users. Guys, I've talked about this on the podcast before. We as creators need to break through a new paradigm of social networking apps that we control rather than them controlling us. Lens Protocol isn't a social media app. It's designed to let Web3 social apps bloom. Own your content, own your social graph, own your data. Lens Protocol is the last social media handle you'll ever have to create. Now, this is where it gets kind of fun. Listeners of the Mid Podcast are legible for claiming a Lens profile. Go to the show notes and fill out the survey in order to get allow listed for a Lens profile. You need the secret passcode also linked in the show notes to submit the form, which is valid for the next 24 hours. So go create your profile, go find me and follow me. I'll see you there. This episode welcomes Nati, co-founder of Coop.xyz. Throughout the hour, we discuss why she dropped out of college to join Web3, the birth of Coop, what it's like working with Logan Paul, membership NFTs, the current state of the Web3 creator economy, why community governance is the new social media, the importance of on-chain data as a crypto-native creator, and so much more. I hope you guys enjoy our conversation. Nati, welcome to Mint. Thank you for being on a part of season six. What's going on? How are you feeling? Yes, I'm good. Thank you for having me on. Excited to chat a little more today. I'm excited to have you on. You're doing really cool stuff at Coop. Uh, you've been working on great projects with like a lot of mainstream creators that we'll get into soon. But I think a good place to start is who are you, Nati? What does the world need to know about you? Uh, but more specifically, <laughs> how did you get your start into crypto? Yes, definitely. So I got started in crypto about three, four years ago now. I was a student at USC. I actually met you. You were one of the first people um, who was repping crypto at USC and um, got introduced through a class. I had an, a professor who was, taught me about zero-knowledge proofs. So um, one of my math professors kind of kept sparking that curiosity inside me. And then when COVID hit, I went full-time in crypto. Um, I started investing in NFTs, contributing to communities, and that really led me to where I am today with Coop, which is a company I started about a year ago. So can you talk more about the the crypto scene on campus? I talk a lot about it, but I feel like I'm a little <laughs> bit biased. What would you say uh, crypto scene at USC was like? Definitely. I think it's unique to every person. So maybe we had different experiences, but I okay. would say it was pretty desolate in 2018. Um, so when I came to campus um, around that time, you were one of the few people talking about it. Um, there were a couple people investing in it, but in terms of building core infrastructure, there weren't a lot of builders around campus. I was mm -hmm. a part of Lava Lab, which is a student kind of uh, startup organization and very web two products being built. But yeah, I would say pretty pretty empty, not a lot of conversation compared to today where I think there's a ton of us a ton founders. of activity yeah yeah shout out to the students that are actually doing it much better than uh yes, than i did and then we did it's <laughs> exactly. uh it's really cool because back in like when i was doing it i did the club on campus and it was like 2017 2018 2019 mm -hmm. like i transferred in as a junior and uh there wasn't a pulse like there wasn't really going on i felt like i was trying to make some type of pulse on campus even though it was like struggling but there were people we were doing like white paper roundtables. There was something, but today I, I see online, like just following blockchain at USC that they're killing it like much better than anyone at the time was sort of doing. So props to them. What's cool about your story though, Nati, is that you also dropped out from what I remember, right? Yeah. Can you talk yes. more about that? Yeah, definitely. I, to be very honest, I didn't always love USC. Um, I didn't love college. I don't think that it was a result of the university. I think I would have felt there um, in a lot of places, but I'm curious. I'm a really curious person. So even when I'm not in classes, I would be online trying to study topics, trying to find out new things and kind of going down the rabbit hole, as they say. And I felt like the traditional structure of school kind of slowed down that process. It's very structured. It's week by week, month by month. 
you take the test and then you never apply the topic or dive deep into it again. And so I never really felt fully uh, like I fit in inside of school. And then once I found crypto and could make money uh, to support myself on my own, it was pretty clear that I was going to take a hiatus. And thankfully, I have parents who pushed back at first, but came around to it. <laughs> Can you talk more about the, your parents' backlash of you leaving? I feel like college is a very big thing in people's families. And I know if I dropped out, my dad would have hung me. And I'm curious <laughs> what sort of experience you went through. Definitely. So my mom is from Argentina. My dad's from Colombia. And neither of them had the opportunity to go to college. Um, they couldn't afford it at the time. Um, and so me being the first in my family to go to college was a really, really, really big deal. Um, and so I think it's really just that not, not even traditional values that many individuals in my family had gone to college before, but the idea behind um, education really acting as a level of prestige, a level of acceptance. I think for immigrant families, it represents all of those things. And I think I have the opportunity now building a company to bring that same type of sense of pride and belonging um, that many look for in education through making an impact by building something that people need. Okay. But when you when you left uh, USC, when we were talking behind the scenes, you actually joined a cool initiative, right? Which is interesting because if you look today, you're very like crypto native, but the initiative that you joined, they weren't really doing like crypto native things, right? You were telling me you joined the, the Chan Zuckerberg initiative, right? And you yes. got involved in the crypto, the crypto scene over there. Walk me more yes. through that. First of all, I'm sure like you dropping out and going into this initiative was maybe like a, a better point for your parents, sort of like seeing exactly. what you're transitioning to, right? Talk, yes. talk to me more about that and also what you got involved with over there. Yeah, no, that is an awesome question. I actually forgot. I almost forgot about CZI in it. it really Which is. I feel like is such a big part of your it career. Is a too. Big part of this <laughs> I scrapped my whole LinkedIn. Like after crypto, I my LinkedIn. I like forget that I had a professional experience. Um, yeah, no, I worked at uh, I worked at the Chan Zuckerberg Initiative. Um, about two to three years after the fund was uh, started to get rolling. So there are only about seven uh, to 10 individuals full time on the team. And I was the, their first intern um, and then kind of worked in an analyst role there. And I got exposure to crypto through CZI as well. The biggest reasons mm -hmm. why I wanted to work at CZI is because I think capital is one of the biggest ways to make impact and actually see change. And CZI, many people claim to to represent that value or instill that value, but CZI backs it through their money, um, where the Zuckerberg Foundation takes uh, an incredible amount of funds, millions uh, each year, and puts it behind not only companies and venture funds, but also building out their own, incubating and building out their own products as well. So um, it was through them. I actually was on uh, the crypto initiative there. And so that was how I learned about crypto VCs and investing mm. in tokens. Um, and that kind of led me even deeper into exploring crypto. So what was the crypto pulse at CZI at the time? And what year was this? Yeah, this was uh, 2019 um, and very early. Um, they were just exploring the topic. I think that they okay. were of the belief there's no doubt that crypto uh, plays a role in the future. And a lot of my role for that period of time was determining to what extent it plays a future and in what areas. But um, got, learned got a it. ton, learned a ton from everybody on that team. Okay, so dropped out of USC, went to CZI, okay, did crypto research, and then you left CZI and joined Web3 more full time or... What's the what's yes. the transitional story into Web3? Yes. So I right after I stopped CZI, I said to my parents, I need to take one year and learn everything possible about crypto from infrastructure to consumer, every single opportunity. I know that this is mm. the future. And if I figure something out how to support myself over that year, I'll go back. I'll stay, continue. And if not, I'll go back to school. So I moved back home. I was in my parents' basement. I know that's like a meme on crypto Twitter, <laughs> living in your mom's basement. But that was literally me. And I just spent every day reading white papers on CT and in Discord. And I made an anon. And I was just getting inside of communities. Hey, how can I help out? What can I build? What are we doing? And I just try to work my way up. I saw this huge opportunity to almost become this like protocol politician. And that was my goal for three months is how can I become core to these teams? How can I influence? How can I learn? 
Um, and I did that for, for about three months. So maybe spent 16 hours a day on wow. <laughs> online, which is scary, but that's we're crazy <laughs> which which i feel like is for for a lot of us too like we live online and i think yes. what's cool about your story is like your sheer willingness to just just understand things and just go into it like like knees deep not knowing what you're getting yourself to and just trying to find your place in the noise what were some of the like more contributor based hats that you wore uh while you were infiltrating these communities yeah definitely so one of the first ones that i hopped into actually docs was Juicebox. so uh okay. there's django django is actually one of the first people i dm'd in crypto he's the one of the founders of Juicebox, and we were just going back and forth i was trying to learn about how the protocol worked and as time went on inside of the community i would help manage their community calls i would write articles i would share ideas around how to manage the treasury i would the biggest role that i played inside of one there is no set role it's like whatever it's like a startup whatever's on the floor you try to pick up but one of the most interesting things that i learned from juicebox is how big narratives play into crypto I think Juicebox is an incredible, maybe even groundbreaking uh, experimentation in protocols and governance. And I would get on calls and I DM communities saying you need to launch a token through Juicebox and they wouldn't get it. But then the second mm. that Constitution DAO happened, Juicebox absolutely blew up. And so I think a lot of Web3 teams tend to uh, over index on building and less so on distribution um and i think we've learned that through web 2 products you know a lot of product-led companies forget their go to market and i think it's equally as important for protocols to consider those things as well so what are some of like the biggest insights or learning lessons you sort of took away uh kind of like bumping around these communities whether it be through Juicebox, other organizations that you sort of uh got involved with and the reason that i ask by the way is because you are the one who possesses the mentality of like I want to, I, I see this excitement. I want to try to find a way to get involved. A lot of people coming to the space, I feel like want to do something similar, but don't know how to get started. And what you just proved to us that there's no real way to get started. You just got to get started. Like you just got to dive in. Right. And by doing so, I feel like you picked up so many things along the way. I'm curious, like, what were those lessons that you've learned? Yes. One, that was incredible advice. Like you said it, just get started. And for me, whenever you're getting started, like what makes you laugh? Like I would hop mm. in these security calls and I would be dying laughing, dying really? laughing. Because sometimes I'd get on the voice and this is when I was Anon and they would hear my voice as a, as a girl and they would be like, are you using a voice changing app? Who is this person? <laughs> I'm like, no, there are, there are girls who exist. <laughs> but, um, so that's, that's one. Um, but second biggest learning is that people participate inside of these digital worlds with more uh, passion and feverance than their local democracies. And even before crypto, I was a subscriber of the Nelk Boys, of Impulsive, and mm. all that I can do is subscribe. It almost feels like paying taxes. I'm paying a tax and all that I get for that tax is commenting and buying a piece of merch. And so I felt like there was a ton of improvement and even you may even call it innovation to be made in terms of our role inside of these communities and also how we participate in them because they're literally um, they're literally our, our, our states, our, our unions, our networks. So by you saying that, it makes me think like, how did the internet get so boring? Like, yes. like the way, the way, the way you just sort of put it, like we are paying taxes when we subscribe to these Patreon pages. Okay. There's a level of excitement to it, but what's, what's missing. And I guess like web three is the missing puzzle piece, but from your point of view, and I guess this is a, a great transition into coop two, right? You're sort of on a mission to kind of like make the future of communities more personal and collaborative, right? Like that's what I understand from coop, right? And you've worked with a variety of projects, either intimately or independently that sort of embody those principles. Now you talk about paying a tax, right? But Web3 is now this new primitive of being able to build communities that are more incentive aligned. Is Coop trying to go after that market? Like what, what is Coop doing in the grand scheme of things? And how does it prevent like that tax paying experience? Yeah, definitely. I think less so. I think there isn't much changes to be made in terms of that in initial entry into a community. It'll always okay. be some, you, you need buy-in, right? On Instagram, that means a follow. On YouTube, it means subscribe. In crypto today, it means buying, um, minting, uh, mint season two pass, right? So I don't think that's where we see change. I think we see change in terms of participatory mechanisms, which today are one to many. 
right? Even inside of Twitch, I, I'll even go as far as to call it spam. There's spam across the internet today. If I'm a Twitch streamer, how can I engage in a high touch way? I can implement TTS, which means that anybody in my can chat can donate. And then a robot says out loud what that person is saying. And then you have a human who's collecting donations and right. ignoring the thousands of messages in spam. And so our, our step one or our first goal is creating new mechanisms for participation inside of communities. Wow. So that was actually a really good uh, visual description of what happens. If you look at a lot of the live streamers or the Twitch streamers, they have massive discord servers where, and they like mirror the chat on their screen as they're like doing these conversations. Yeah. And it, it's like, it's, it's fast. Like they're going, they're fast. spamming, they're typing, but also there's a level of excitement to that. And from what I understand, Coop is trying to do the exact opposite. Like you guys are focusing on a more niche type of audience, a non-fungible sort of uh, membership NFT that gets you into a community that doesn't have that level of scale. Am I getting it right? Yeah, definitely. So Discord, right? Twitch, uh, Instagram today, they have fungible membership. So there is no sense of self inside of the community because you exist in the perspective of the creator. So you are one of thousands. If you looked at Mr. Beast's most recent video, it was kind of funny. It's, it's actually funny. Um, I actually love Mr. Beast, so I'm not not hating on him, but I am a little bit here. He, everyone got a shirt. <laughs> everyone got a shirt. And on the third, uh, the goal was to win an island, right? If you participated in these three games, the winner at the end won this island. Um, and everyone was wearing a red shirt with the number subscriber that they were. So you had 250 subscriber all the way to 96.4 million subscriber. And one of the competitions was his earliest subscriber could kick out 10 people out of the 20 in round three, and they were booted off the island. But that's the only metric of support or mm. loyalty that a creator has today. Um, and if you look at like innovations in social, the only example is TikTok. And what has TikTok done? It's shifted that perspective, but it's still one to many, except that one is you, where it's you in the centerfold and you have a feed. And now the feed is based on your interests, not on the thousands of creators that, that you followed. Um, but as you were hinting at, what do we believe the future is? It looks like non-fungible membership where you can actually create an identity and a space. And that identity is portable um, across across social networks. So I know that was a lot. <laughs> that was a lot. But no, but there, let's, but let's break it down. No, I think that's down. a good start. Yeah. So a couple of things. So I like the gamification example that you gave because it actually gives a good sort of visualization of what an NFT could be used for, used for as a way to sort of... Uh, kind of like earmark your participation early on in a creator's mm -hmm. journey, right? So instead of using the subscriber count as a way to sort of measure uh, certain access and rights to sort of maybe kick someone off an island, the yeah. NFT could kind of represent that and it could be used in an interoperable way. So you can create those yeah. experiences, not just across YouTube, but across other platforms as well, across Twitch, across Web3 Twitch, Web3 Twitter, whatever the Web3 platforms end up becoming. Did I get that right? That's number one, right? Yeah, definitely. Number Okay, so number two is sort of thinking about but wait a minute, these systems actually work. Why do we need to change them? They work, but they don't work, I guess, in the grand scheme of things, but they still work. Like when we talk about the problem space of seeing all the chats flicker on the screen, when we talk about Mr. Beast just using the subscriber count of his early subscribers as a metric to sort of, sort of gamify an experience, these, still, these things still work in the grand scheme, of, grand scheme of things, right? Like creators are still using these to cultivate experiences. Why are you betting on the fact that there actually needs to be a non-fungible version of that? where we need to create smaller, tighter knit communities. Yeah, I think that one thing that never changes is the competition for engagement. So in Web2 okay. today, every platform, whether it's a new platform, why, why are they able to grow so quickly so early? Let's say Mint creates a new social network. It's because their distribution channels aren't flooded yet. So early, early individuals, I'm on Farcaster, you're on Farcaster, Farcaster, yeah. Just by us being early there, we have the ability to grow probably to millions of followers that we could never do on Twitter today, solely for being early. In Web3, that engagement metric becomes a liquidity metric. And so every single token, whether it's an NFT collection or an ERC20, is competing for liquidity. So you're no longer competing for engagement that is determined by outside players. You're competing for liquidity in an open market. And so in order to access that liquidity, 
I believe that you need strong backers, you need strong LPs, you need strong participants in that network. And to do so, you can no longer play the game of let's scale to one to 10 million and Instagram will do that for you. You need to play the game of how can you scale from one to 1000 and those 1000s will back you and grow your cultural relevance um, as well as the stability of your of your treasury. Hmm, interesting. So it still feels like uh, the creator still needs to take the initiative to create the initial group, right? Yes. And create the, what about examples where fans make groups on behalf of creators? And like, for example, more like visual example is if you go on Facebook and you look up Lady Gaga, I use this example a lot on the podcast, you'll see a bunch of Lady Gaga fan pages where the fans created these communities on behalf of Lady Gaga. Lady Gaga's not in there creating communities and managing these communities, right? So yeah. I'm trying to think, where does that come into play in, in the Web3 sense? Maybe with rarity traits, right? Maybe, or, or where else could it come into play? Yeah, I think today that actually looks like a collector DAO. Um, and today it's hard to fork those collector DAOs, right? Like I think what'll be super powerful is that core collector DAO can act as a central source of liquidity. And then there can be spin off sub DAOs, which actually represent the niche interests. Um, so you can almost think of them like Reddit threads where the core Reddit thread is Bitcoin, but then you have uh, Bitcoin max maximalism, uh, people fighting about the merge, shitting on Ethereum. Mm. And then you have other people trying to turn uh, BTC into um uh, the next app chain and so mm -hmm. i think that that's the way that i think about collector DAOs today since we're so early is these are the early curators they're willing to back their money and time into uh shifting and investing in culture and soon it'll be segmented and fragmented once we see enough volume and interest where uh, my collector DAO will actually be the next taylor swift uh, fan base interesting how how scalable is that the concept of using money as a way for access, like mm -hmm. it works today without using money. Like all these communities, they live and yeah. exist without the, the incentives, the financial incentives. And I think it's a question that doesn't have an answer just yet, but I'm, I'm wondering like what your take is on that. Yeah. So I think that people like people are scarred from DeFi and also right. uh, human incentives and human nature rarely changes across history when it comes to how we handle and, in, and interact with finances. But I would make the argument that people tend to over-index on how financialized these NFT communities are. I'm a part of a ton of NFT projects that I expect zero rewards and profit from because when I buy it, it's 0.1 ETH mm. or 0.05 ETH. And I think a lot of these communities come together. And the way that I see it is I just bought equity in a company. I'm a seed stage investor and I bought equity and maybe I get exposure down the line, but because it's my money and I don't have the dependencies of LPs, I see it. Gary Vee has this really famous line where he actually found Logan Paul on Vine. And he said, I brought Logan Paul in and I invested in one of his projects, not because I thought that one was going to blow up because you always bet on the jockey. And I want to form this closer relationship with the jockey. And I feel the same exact way about every brand, every community, every creator that I invest in. I'm not expecting upside. I'm expecting a closer relationship as well as an opportunity, um, literally a professional one to uh, expand my opportunity set, whether mm -hmm. that be in crypto, the music space, et cetera. What's up, guys? Sorry for the quick pause, but I wanted to tell you about Bello a new blockchain analytics tool I built that helps Web3 native creators and communities learn more about their collectors and their on-chain behavior. Through a simple search, Bellows Intelligence can help you figure out a price for your NFT drop, show you what other communities your collectors are a part of, and empower you with insights to make confident decisions on how to grow your community. I built Bello with you in mind. So as a creator myself, Bellows helped me make money by finding sponsors for the podcast and allowed me to curate better content for you guys. And now it's ready to help other creators too. If you're a Web3 native creator, NFT project founder, or community manager, join the waitlist to try Bello's beta product today by signing up at bello.lol forward slash join. That's B-E-L-L-O dot L-O-L forward slash join. All right, back to the episode. I think that's uh, actually a fantastic way to answer that question because 
I I take my collection like thesis. I don't know if you want to call it a thesis, but <laughs> when I when I collect something, I usually bet on the person, right? Yeah. I usually I, I collect because I love what they stand for. I love how many times they like how consistently they show up in the space. And I know at some point they're gonna just figure it out, right? And I wanna mm -hmm. I wanna be along that journey. So but I also think that's like uh, an early adopter's mindset. I don't think everybody thinks like that. Because also in the grand scheme of things, and maybe my maybe like a counterpoint to this is like Web3 is only meant for a certain subset of people. But in the grand scheme of things, majority of people live live like paycheck to paycheck. Like they don't have the additional expenditure to collect things the way we do, maybe that we have the privilege to. So maybe Web3 is like a subsection for the for the creator economy or for fandom that allows us to get even closer with fans like they could still listen to music right but then there's like an even subset of listeners that want to be even closer to the creator that want to be engaging in these like non-fungible communities do you think i'm on the right path over here do you feel something similar yeah no i do i think uh long term as in, just as an example um marketplace fees any protocol fees trend towards zero i think very similarly around this concept of token gating right or locked access there is no freemium model for NFTs outside of CCO mints that we've seen today. And the long tail of even something like Coop looks like you can hop on a, a Twitch stream, right? A creator can still be making content. That's their first form of interaction with the entire net internet. And then through the chat, you can be collecting and earning some part of that creator share or just relevance, very similar to, to streaming mechanisms today. And then that initial exposure or interest will then convert you into a sale or convert you into purchasing a closer experience. And I think rather than the lens of financialization, it's more so uh, increasing the quality and bar of participants um, throughout the levels of a creator's life, of a creator's community, et cetera. So you're you're talking like a freemium to premium model. That's what you're exactly. referencing. Exactly. I think I think that's a fantastic uh, example because my bet also is that a lot of creators are going to trend towards the free NFT uh, uh, strategy, and they're going to build like a they're going to cast a wide net of collectors, and then find a way to funnel them in based off different experiences, traits, etc. Um, and we're actually already seeing that happen in real time. Mm -hmm. I wrote an article in Mirror basically talking about like the free NFT model where it references this artist, her name is Queen George, okay? And she was preparing for a sound drop that she had. She wanted to sell out 25 editions. I think it was like at 0 .01, 0 .01 or 0 0.08, something like that. Mm -hmm. But what she did, she basically contacted on Twitter, like a lot of the top music NFT collectors, DM them about her new song that she's releasing and said, hey, join my Telegram group chat. And once you do, I'll give you a free NFT, a POAP, essentially for coming in. Right. And then she amassed like 50 collectors in that group and oh. she was kind of teasing them with like new music that was coming out, preparing for the drop. Cool. And then when the drop happened, she had 25 editions to sell out and she sold out. Right. And it worked. And she was able to use like the, the top funnel free model to then filter them down into like converting collectors to actually join her community. That's one example. Are you seeing other examples in practice? Yeah, I think the clearest one is Board Ape Yacht Club. I, I have an ape, an OG ape. I'll even call it OG because I think they'll launch a ton of stuff in the future. And okay. they're continuously thinking about how to increase supply. They've increased supply and we haven't seen the dilutionary effects of it, but I am invested today because I want to be an owner. And I think that let's say the floor price is at 30 today. It shouldn't drop down less than 30 over the next few years. But I don't think that it has the same, it's the same type of investment as punks where that's going to 10x over the next 200 years. I look at it as they are a team that's looking to create a game and a metaverse, and they want to increase access and distribution. So they created a Board Ape Kennel Club. They created MAYC. They created Other Side Meta, ApeCoin. I promise you that the next launch that they do, there'll be three of them. There'll be even larger supplies. And the more the supply, the more that the separate collections are diluted uh, individually. And so I think that that'll open them up to, in the context of that musician, right? For her, it was, or uh, him, it was minting out that initial collection. And mm -hmm. their goal was to raise money. But with Board Ape Yacht Club, their goal is to increase distribution. And that means like the same concept around this POAP, it means not expecting um, a financial upside at the beginning. Mm. 
Interesting. That's actually a really good example. Completely different model. Um, I like that. Okay. Let's transition into talking more about membership NFTs. Okay. Cause that's a big component of Coop. And I think when designing Coop, you've, you've taken upon yourself like specific decisions to sort of made Coop what it is today from a product point of view and membership NFTs come into the picture because you're sort of betting on the non fungibleness of a community. But in the beginning of, of, uh, I guess, I don't want to say like the DAO era, but let's call it the DAO era, okay? Or the, the token-based community era. A lot of communities were creating communities based off ERC-20s, fungible tokens, right? And now we're seeing a shift from fungible tokens to non-fungible tokens on a larger scale. Why do you think we're seeing that shift? And why do non-fungible tokens play a better type of model for creating a membership-based community? Yeah, I think it's very simple. Um, content and currency are converging. And so you slap a picture on top of a token, which both represent the same type of models, and you take a currency and that's all of a sudden that currency becomes content. And content and currency are converging. I'm going to bring another Ford Ape example. Um, Same with ApeCoin being able to be purchased at uh, Gucci. So I think even the biggest, when we think about the biggest challenges for communities or brands, or even when thinking about the US dollar, Previously, they had to ask the question, uh, you know, how do we stay stable enough? How can the U.S. dollar be sound enough? How can we create enough trust around it? But I think long tail with crypto adoption, it won't just be how how, uh, stable is this currency, but how relevant is it and how interesting is it? And in order for it to also be interesting, there needs to be a cultural element and art is the first step in that direction, which is why from the beginning, we everything in Coop is centered around the concept of a membership NFT. Got it. I also remember um, there was a certain point in time where as more DAOs sort of evolved, they also sort of transitioned to the NFT model. The best example is using like developer DAO. That's like mm-hmm. one of the more mainstream DAOs that came out and issued uh, NFTs as a form of access to the community versus an ERC-20 like we saw with FWB or Forefront, etc. So I also think for me, from like a, a, a consumer's point of view, okay, it's like, it makes more sense for me to collect a ticket to enter something versus like buy stock, even though it does have the sort of financial, like both tokens have open markets, right? Mm-hmm. But I, I, it feels more native to me to just purchase one thing and to, act, to get access versus, versus purchase like 75 things and get access. You know what I mean? Are, are, do you think about it the same way? Yeah, no, I, I think it's honestly a very simple answer. <laughs> yeah, I think people overcomplicate it, um, but I, I completely agree with everything that you're saying. All right, let's 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 talk about governance right now too, okay? So a big portion of Coop obviously is focusing on the creator economy. I'm curious, how have you seen creator governance evolve over, over the year, two years, et cetera? Yeah, definitely. So today, governance is really boring. Very, very frankly, it's hosted on discourse or snapshot snapshot. And that Mm -hmm. means that it's static, long form text. I think the long tail uh, version of governance looks like Kickstarter videos, TikTok videos, live streaming, everything around proposals is storytelling, especially in NFT communities, especially around creators and artists. So uh, everything that we do at Cooper on governance is how do we make this more fun and engaging? So can you give me, can you give me an example of someone that's doing it right with like a storytelling uh, approach? Yeah, definitely. So one example is uh, 99 Originals DAO. So Logan Paul uh, has this NFT collection, 99 Polaroids. He auctions them off every day. It's very similar, if not exactly the same as the Nouns DAO model. He manages the treasury outside of Coop and individuals inside of the community are rewarded for voting on what to do with the treasury and for supporting his content. So he posts these storytelling videos on TikTok where would create this incredible story around every Polaroid or around every community proposal. And then the community is then incentivized to distribute and grow the relevance of his content um, or of the content that one day they'll create around the story as well. So Logan Paul uses Coop, is that what you're saying? <laughs> yes. How, how did that come about? That's pretty big. How did that come about? Yeah, definitely. Um, some of our investors are investors in, um, not in investors in him, but have collected some of his passes. I own one of the 99 originals and I thought it was a really cool project. So once I was in the 
token holders chat in the discord i started talking about coop and got enough buy-in uh, from him and the community to to get people behind it so casual all right let's just move <laughs> on to the next question yeah. i mean that, that's like that's like the biggest yeah. creator in the world if not like the the og creators and just like oh yeah i just use the skills that i amassed entering web3 joining all these communities and infiltrating my way through and just found one of the biggest creators to build on Coop. Like, all right, no big deal. Next question. <laughs> <laughs> I actually, that's, yeah, that, that's very funny, my response, but it is the truth. I'm not going to, I'm not going to overplay it. I'm not going to say I uh, did something that I, I didn't. Um, but, but yeah, I actually think Logan's incredible as a side comment. I think we're both like very into creators and what he's managed to do from Pokemon to WWE to NFTs. I know he gets a lot of shit in the NFT community um, for some of his past projects, but I think that more generally, um, when you're a large creator, there's a lot of attention on you. And it's easy for us to experiment without a lot of eyes and dependencies. Um, and um, really excited for, for 99 Originals. I think it's one of the most underrated projects in crypto right now. I agree. I'm a, I'm a fan of the project. And also it continuously goes, goes viral on TikTok and his web yes. two fans, they love it. They love yes. it without even knowing what a DAO is. They absolutely obsess over it. And they are starting to comment like, wow, Logan Paul's actually artistic. Like he, I'm actually mm -hmm. really enjoying this side of Logan. Like I didn't know he had this in him and how he's using NFTs and like DAO formats to sort of formulate that entire concept using content kind of normalizes this entire space and it kind of abstracts all the bullshit of, of all these keywords and these 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 primitives and just lets you focus on the art right which i think i think is super cool and very unique to his project and we haven't really seen uh, a mainstream creator like himself from web 2 coming into web 3 do it accordingly my next question to you nati is uh what does it take for more web 2 creators to enter web 3 what are we missing yeah, definitely. I think that it's not through going after the top creators. Logan was more of an accident. He was looking mm. for a tool. We had a tool. I think that historically uh, products or platforms that go after uh, kind of like what is the traditional meta tend to fail. And so uh, internally, we're looking for ways to create more bottoms up experimentation where as an example, Houndtrack is an artist that works with us. And when he started his first coup, he was thinking about using it for his entire persona. This would be Houndtrack's DAO. It would represent every piece of future, current, um, and past art and music. And then we decided as a team um, with him involved as well, you should just launch this with your first DP or for the Hound Pack, which is his Discord community of uh, individuals who he kind of shows them how to produce and they learn and grow together. And so I think the more that we can take away the pressure and less so the financialization, but more so the responsibility that comes along with raising a large amount of money or putting a large roadmap ahead, the more that we'll be able to set adoption. Um, I think a lot of people run away when they hear DAO because they're like, now I have to run mm -hmm. a Discord and a thousand other tools. And at Coop, our goal is if you want to just try a new experiment with voting or you want to try a new mechanism for streaming, let's just do it once. It's no pressure, no stakes. And we're going to try to make it as fun as possible. And I think that's actually how you get more Web2 creators is just creating a, a medium for experimentation. Mm. What do you think the current state of the creator economy in Web3 looks like today? Uh, with that sort of your mental model of getting more people in? Yeah, today, I think that we still haven't solved the distribution problem. So okay. until we amass... Like the virality component. Exactly. And okay. I think to, to give one quick example, Mr. Beast... Uh, was I think it was on, it was either on, Joe, I, let's just say it was on Joe Rogan. <laughs> um, okay. Mr. Beast was on Joe Rogan and Joe asked him, why have you not created your own white labeled uh, version of YouTube? And he said, I think YouTube will grow 10x faster than I'll ever be able to grow outside of YouTube. So he's taking a bet that their network effects are greater than his. And I, a goal of anyone building in the creator economy should be to solve the distribution problem for creators. And I think that it's around the corner. Um, it's not that we're missing any infrastructure. It's just we're missing a new model to do so. So as an example, right, Andrew Tate, he did this spectacularly. He said, anyone can buy a subscription into my Discord community. 
your one role in this Discord community is I'm going to come on your podcast. I'm going to come on your YouTube videos. You're going to clip that content. I'm going to teach you how to clip it. And then we're going to grow together. We're going to beat the algorithm. We're going to push and move forward. And then everything after that initial bootstrapping of an audience was outside of his community. Just the fact that Andrew Tate is saying really crazy uh, things online Mm -hmm. that invokes an audience. But I think that the creator economy today in terms of what can crypto offer uh, that's not offered in Web2 is that initial buy-in to then grow that network without having to to hack a literally hack a distribution channel through YouTube as Andrew Tate did or as Mr. Beast is doing as well. Mm. I feel like Andrew Tate is like the epitome of CC zero. It's like anybody can sort yeah. of use his content. Like any, like <laughs> no, the literally. community is literally like like literally replicating on his behalf, and yeah. uh, they're using him as a, like they're memifying him essentially. Yeah. And now, now that he got banned across TikTok, YouTube, like all the main social platform platforms, he's still on my feed. Like I still see <laughs> him, right? Because like, uh, I don't know. I, I feel like there's like uh, some sort of saying that's sort of like sprouting from this case study. It's like many is greater than one, right? And that could be applied in many different ways, but also from an audience point of view, like you haven't really seen uh, people do that. Like maybe you see like... Uh, JRE shorts, like Joe Rogan shorts and like the community sort of like replicates Mm -hmm. that through like financialization Instagrams or whatever. But uh, you've never really seen the content proliferate on that level with any other creator. Um, Yeah, yeah, I think I think it's I think it's an interesting example. Yeah, you want to you want to add something? Yeah, I think that will be productized. Like a creator will not have to do all of that work. And like I said, game the system. I think there will be a product that enables that type of magic um where you'll be able to connect it with those thousands of individuals with similar similar interests similar goals you'll be able to set a clear a clear mission right these are the roles and responsibilities in the case of uh andrew tate it was host a podcast clip it post it um and then from there you'll be able to see these like new niches implode across the internet that we would have never unsurfaced or uncovered before because of the way our algorithms are are structured today and that is going to what that is what's going to make the internet more fun in my opinion now that we've sort of talked about governance we've we've talked about uh we're like skimming the surface on social i want to transition to talking about web3 social and i'm curious to get your point of view of what like what does the new social media look like and where does crypto come into in, into place yeah definitely i have quite a few opinions here um i think that the new social looks like high touch experiences um it means no no versions of chat it means no concepts of long-form discord posts and it means rich experiences so today that means streaming tomorrow that means ar vr um and i don't know what that looks like a hundred years from now but that's my bet is that social does not look like uh twitter um the second bet around social is kind of the idea of controlling your own algorithm and curating your your niche personal spaces and that was one of the initial reasons um why i got into crypto anyway was discord kind of did that for me in a scrappy way i was going through all of these different communities with all these different sentiments and portals and today a lot of backlash on twitter and other socials comes from the idea that you have to Uh, disagree or agree with opinions. It's very combative. And in the future, I think that you'll be in environments with people who actually highly uh, agree with you around certain opinions. And some may argue that that's bad. I actually think that it can be productive as long as you have exposure and discoverability into other types of discourse. Um, But Twitter is already trending to that today. If you're a Republican, rarely do you see content around Democrats. Um, I almost think Ethereum and Solana and almost make the analogy. It's like uh, Democrats and Republicans fighting on Twitter um, because very, very different beliefs around, uh, I guess, the spectrum of centralization Mm -hmm. and can invoke a reaction around its audience. Mm. Where does where do you think uh, community governance and social overlap? We talked about content as a way to like proliferate. But where, where do you think it goes even beyond content? Community governance is the new social. I bet everything on that. I think the ability to 
uh, vote, right? Today, voting is very, is very boring. As I said, you see a long form text and you vote yes or no. Uh, Instagram polls is the next meta of that. You can long form and I can share a little message and then we get live polling at the end. I think the future of voting looks like a video, a stream where you can actually be engaged throughout using some type of form of token curated registries or a new mechanisms that, that somebody creates. But live voting, the ability to have a say, whether that be today through a numeric system or tomorrow through voice or another type of digital interaction is, in my eyes, what's unique about crypto and what will actually be a new type of participatory mechanism to drive forward social interactions more generally. Mm. So with that same train of thought, where do you think data comes in, like on-chain data? Yeah, definitely. So it, uh, one, I would love to hear your thoughts about this afterwards. Okay. Um, so I'll say my opinion, but I, I also want to hear yours because I think you uh, have been speaking to a ton of people about this. They're also building in this uh, similar idea realm. But today in Web2 Social, the only idea you have the concepts of follow, which is support. You have the concepts of liking, which is determining preferences. On crypto today, you don't necessarily have this idea around preferences. And that is going to be a new zero to one in my eyes. The only concept of preferences is voting and governance. And at Coop, we connect that to your NFT and are continuously thinking of different ways to create a unique identity and algorithm around an individual rather than around a network. So I think, I think that's great. I think there's also layers to it too, just mm -hmm. to build on what you're saying. I think governance and voting is like, the bottom of the triangle, like the more funnel funnelized uh, triangle, right? But I think just being able to sort of collect something just indicates what your preference is, right? And being yep. able to buy something or being being able to just either, whether it's a free collect or a paid collect, I think that in, in, in indicates sort of like what you like on chain, from the communities that you're part of to the events that you attend to all these sort of things that we do on chain, kind of build up mm -hmm. our, our persona, right? Um, I, I use data on chain data in a, I think in a very unique way, I haven't seen other creators sort of use it. I'm, I'm hoping more creators do it, which is like a lot of the reason why I wanted to do season six is to teach creators that the reason why we're here, there's, there's many reasons why we're here. We're here to make money. We're here to be free. We're here to be independent. But part of doing that is like owning our audience, right. And owning the, the little like, uh, pieces that make an audience. And with that is the data that comprises our audience. And uh, in Web2, as a creator, I don't really get to see like who my audience is, right? I don't really get to, 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 to know them, right? And the perfect example is like, if you have millions of listeners on Spotify, you don't really know who these millions of listeners are. You don't. When you sell tickets to a concert, you don't really know much about who's attending, right? But if you kind of like bring all that on chain and you start issuing tickets as NFTs, uh, you're able to sort of build like a minimum viable community through your music by people who collect your, your wave files. You're able to sort of build this audience persona and a profile of who are the people that love and adore you, who are actually spending dollars to come and see you and to support you. That's how I think about it. There's a lot of on, like every single wallet possesses a bunch of things, right? And you can access that information and get to know more about those wallets in a non-intrusive way without knowing their first name, without knowing their last name, without knowing their address in a way that's sort of like much better compared to how Web2 data centers, behemoths are sort of like doing it, right? So I use on-chain data as a way to formulate my content strategy. I use on-chain data to understand what my, what my listeners like. And based off that, I bring in the right guests to kind of like formulate the right conversations that tailors to what they're collecting, right? I bring in sponsors based off their, their crypto nativeness, right? So I try to use that as a way to become a smarter creator and a better creator. And I think, I think you're on the money though. Like, I think it's all about building like a, an interoperable community and it's a community that lives freely. Like the community is the social platform. Like we are, it's no longer creator against platform. It's like, platforms now need us more than we need platforms kind of thing, because we have all these tools to sort of build our own platform, right? To build our own audience. So that's a little bit of my, my hot take. What, what do you think based off that? <laughs> no, I, I'm in line with everything you said. I think the biggest uh, kind of nugget that you said is that it's not intrusive. I could get all of this information without actually knowing who you are, where you live, what you do, the, the non 
the non, uh, I guess, uh, necessary pieces of information around a user or a community member. So absolutely agree with everything you said. And hopefully we're able to build out aspects or segments of that future together. Yeah, I, I really hope so. And I think whoever ends up building it, it's very net positive because at the end of the day, like the reason why the podcast exists is to create more, uh, I guess, like transparency around a lot of these primitives that many creators might not know of. Like there's more to being in Web3 than just minting a wave file and selling music NFTs. There's yeah. more to Web3 than just sort of like having somebody vote yes or no on something or like mm -hmm. there's layers to it. And I think we, we don't even know what that really means in the, in the grand scheme of things. We're seeing it sort of develop in real time, but let's bring it back now. Okay. I know we only have a few more minutes. Um, so what can we expect from Coop in the future? And from there, I also want you to let us know, like, where can we find you? Where can we keep in touch? And uh, we'll wrap this thing up. Yeah, definitely. So kind of summarizing all those points about creators, communities. Today, Coop is a place where you can bring yourself, your community, you can build a treasury, which we see as an ecosystem, a network, and you can use those that treasury to back anything from content to software and proliferate not only your cultural resonance, but also the strength and ties um, through a bunch of the different tools we have, which are some of which we discussed today from governance to NFT memberships um, to some of the things that we're building in the future. We're launching a, a Twitch product similar to um, some of the concepts that we see today creators using to engage in a live form setting. Like I said, how do we make it fun? Um, if you're interested in creating a fun experience with your community, you could check out Tw Coop on Twitter at CoopXYZ and then um, my personal Twitter, NA0XM. But um, thank you so much, Adam, for having me on today and really excited about the future of the Mint pod and the Mint ecosystem. Mm. I'm excited too. I'm excited for you. I'm a fan of what you guys are doing at Coop. So we'll have to do this again soon. Nati, thank you so much for being a part of the season, for making the time. And uh, yeah, we'll talk soon. Thank you. What's up, guys? Thank you for listening. If you've gotten this far, then you are a champ and I owe you a free listener pin. Go to adamlevy.io forward slash NFT, fill in your info, and I'll distribute the NFT towards the end of the season. By collecting your pin, you prove your contribution to the season and get exclusive access to content, allow lists, and more. So be sure to collect yours. Also, please make sure to rate and subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening. This helps me out so much. And finally, hit me up on Twitter at LevyChain. I want to hear what you're building, the latest crowdfund you're trying to complete, or if you simply want to chat. I love talking about where crypto meets the creator economy, and it's no different if it's coming from you directly. So thanks again for your support. It means the world, and I'll see you on the next episode.